You are listening to the Think Brick Australia podcast. Think Brick Australia represents the clay, brick and paver manufacturers of Australia. Brick by Brick, our podcast will discuss technical information and architectural case studies with special guests. I'm your host, Elizabeth McIntyre, the CEO of Think Brick Australia. So this has been a long-awaited recording with Mel, one of my favourite architects, who has supported our industry incredibly, particularly not only in clay brick, I think you're one of the first people to get on board, terracotta roof tiles, but also concrete brick and block. Welcome, Mel. Thanks, Elizabeth. Mel, just before we get started, I wondered whether you could tell us a little bit about your upbringing here in Melbourne, what sort of environment you grew up in. I'd love to have some interesting story to tell you, Elizabeth, but it was really quite boring and suburban. I grew up obviously in Melbourne and there's nothing really very exciting about it. My parents are Queenslanders though, which, you know, I think makes me sort of in touch with wider Australia. And they moved down? Yeah, before I was born. Okay. So, you know, there's sort of, we we spent a lot of time up in Queensland and, and coming back here. So I feel like I'm a half Queenslander. When you were growing up, was there a real affinity for art or drawing or a love for buildings? How did this sort of come into you? Mm, Look, I didn't really think too much about it, actually. But what I did do is just do things that I enjoyed and things that I was good at. And I probably sort of just continued to try and do that in life. (laughs) But really, in high school, was a maths and science girl and I know you're not supposed to say that anymore everyone's a maths and science girl but well (laughs) (laughs) and and then but loved you know I wasn't incredibly creative but I really enjoyed doing creative subjects so I think it's called viscom now but I loved that and really loved drawing and didn't it didn't feel like work so I think I actually applied for engineering and I thought I would do engineering but at the last minute changed my preferences and put down architecture because I thought oh that doesn't seem like hard work (laughs) not necessarily hard work but enjoyable work and did you have any guidance along the way I mean I only say this because I think we're about the same age and maybe it's Mm. my upbringing but architecture was such a creative sort of profession back then I just felt that you always needed to know someone that was already in it and my parents weren't so that it never in the blue moon would it be suggested yeah it's often the case it certainly wasn't suggested by my engineer father oh okay Um, (laughs) and um, when I told him I was going to do architecture go to architecture school he said well Melissa all the architects I know are driving taxis because it was the, you know, the recession. So it was actually discouraged, which maybe made me think, oh, that must be a good idea then. (laughs) The the rebellion. Yeah, but no, they supported me always to do the the sort of subjects and the things I liked doing, mum and dad did, and got in and loved it. But I was terrible at the start. I was terrible and I went to architecture school and I'd been really good at most things I tried okay and so it was just incredibly confronting turning up to RMIT with all these mature age students that had been trying to get into the course for years or or even because they had vertical studios and still do you would go in first year and you'd be in a class with a third year student you know who's already done building and drafting for three years and they were so clever and I was just a total hack. Let's but did you think you were terrible or no. was it 
I really was. And that was that just getting your head around it though? Like at uni, don't you think sometimes at the start we were all just trying to get through? I think so. That's, <laughs> I was definitely doing that. Yeah, I, it was a it was a big culture shock and just a big shock in general. But you know, we plugged away, and I sort of felt like I peaked at the right time. <laughs> when it mattered and what sort of impression did I mean going into it you seem that you had sort of more of an ideologist opinion of architecture how much did that shape at university what it was really all about I think I imagined it to be much more rational than it ended up being and that was the tricky thing because I don't (laughs) actually believe I'm that creative at all I think I'm much more like go through a quite a simple process in some ways with architecture about just you know quite simple things like context or sunlight and that it's not really very complicated creative theories just Mm. you know good places to to be but isn't it the creative application of all of those things because i think as well you know a lot of people until you're told you're creative i don't think you sometimes you think you are no well i i definitely (laughs) didn't and maybe yeah so it was it was probably more realizing that oh this is about a lot more than i imagined but I, i kind of liked the application of rational thought and maybe that's the thing about the profession in the end that i love is that it does it's one of those things that grabs from so many different skill sets. Yes. And that you can spend your day from engineering to accounting to talking to people or sales even. Yes. You know, sometimes I just feel like I'm a, I'm a saleswoman. I think also architecture is one of those um, professions, it's a little bit like a magician. Like everyone just sees the final product and thinks it was easy behind the scenes. And we were just talking a little bit about one of your projects and how long that's been going on for. And one of the things that has really opened my eyes is for some of the winners of the awards and just speaking to architects, some of these things have been going on for 10 years. And I just don't know how dedicated I could be to a project, you know, yeah. for that amount of time. Serious amount of perseverance, yes. I think. And, you know, I think that that, that is probably one of the things I have learned, that it requires you to have perseverance, I think, and determination. Tenacity as well. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, they do take ages and you know pretty bumpy I think sometimes so it's a long game thing because it's you can come up with the drawing and then really like and maybe that's the reality as well is that this idea of being creative that actually the job is sometimes one percent creative and then you spend the rest of the time trying to deliver it or negotiating yeah, I can imagine <laughs> exactly yeah and so mm. You know, the sort of delusion maybe of when I was younger of like, oh, you think that this is just this sort of, I'm going to come up with some good ideas and, you know, it will be built. It's really that the good idea is the, you know, almost the easy bit. And it's so technical, I think, behind the scenes. I just think architecture is just so underestimated for the technicality of it. You know, that's, I guess, my insight into it. And yes, there's a space for engineers, but they still have to have so much guidance. Mm. along the way and I guess from what we see from the industry perspective is you sometimes you are that connector you know you yeah, really of all are of the to, different things yes that, that that is the yeah absolutely from a technical standpoint I mean when you look at standards they're written by engineers and yet we receive 800 calls a year about the interpretation of, of Australian the standards, standards. Yeah, yeah. by engineers yeah, wow. yeah. <laughs> anyway yeah no absolutely it sort of somehow grabs all of those different bits so with university then, what happened after that? So you came out of university peaking at the right point. <laughs> well, 
no, I think I did. I did pretty well at the end, and I felt like by the end of the degree, I I kind of got what was required of me mm-hmm. in the degree. Yeah. But I think also I had a bit more faith in what I was interested in as well, and I think that's an important bit of growing up, isn't it? That sort of being, oh, well, I'm not really into that thing, and that's why I'm not very good at it, and that's okay. I'm just curious, so what at uni did you discover that you didn't like, I guess, in a nice way? I think I realised I was more interested in architecture doing simple things and responding to simple problems of cities or sites or people. And I thought that was initially not very interesting, Okay. The high theory. And it's probably not, but it's just, I think, as worthy an interest, if yep. that makes any sense. And so, and I probably haven't, haven't changed. Oh, really? Yeah, that, know, that was going to be my next question. Since then. Yes. So after you asked me about what I did after uni, and I think I just went from different job to different job, really. But mostly my, my career... Uh, involved something turning up and me thinking that sounds like fun and I might do that and then I would do that for a bit and then another thing would happen. I had some really wonderful things but like I often ended up in situations where I had more responsibility than I felt ready for. Like I didn't go and do the job in Melbourne for the well-known architect and do the apprenticeship. Right. You know, which is what I kind of feel like we give our young guys here. Yes. Really great, you know, stage by stage yes. steps to growth. Whereas I was just sort of found myself in, you know, for example, Malaysia running a team of 10 just out of uni and having to go and present things, you know, all around Southeast Asia thinking, oh, I really don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> and that I feel like that continued in some ways. I then for another architect I was working for in Melbourne, was asked to go and set up their London office. And we ended up, they were doing much more speculative projects, but sort of development projects. But I, so I went over as the architect for them and ended up, you know, traveling around Europe and sitting at big, serious meetings with big developers. And And what was the attraction there? Was it the ability to travel? I think so. Yeah, I think it was like, it seemed, well, why not? And maybe that was that. The attraction to that one was also that I was given the opportunity to design things I was interested in. And that was actually like a really great opportunity to do that. Whereas Mm. when you go and work for a quite sort of particular design practice, so I ended up coming back and working for Lab Architecture Mm -hmm. Studio, that's much more kind of fitting into that, you know, practice philosophy and what they did, So, which was great as well. Yeah, so in terms of the gift of if you were to look at maybe one project or maybe one location, was there any kind of career-defining moments or a project that you look back on and maybe want to laugh and cry or do both at the mm-hmm. same time? There's a whole bunch. <laughs> I, I didn't do houses before I started this this studio, so I sort of did a whole range of different things. There's a bunch I would cry about. I think that some, you know, I really learned to stand up for myself. Some situations I thought were a bit traumatic and well beyond my depth, but others were amazing experiences. I don't know if there's a project, but I think I think the key thing of all of those years was I did many different projects. So like they were often large scale, often public in nature. And so they really did sort of have influenced the way I've thought about this practice because Mm. 
even though when I started this practice, we started with a bathroom renovation. You know, once that scaled to even just a little backyard renovation, I still wanted to think about the role of that project in the city yes. or the wider project. Yes. So I think that those projects have informed that. And so what, I guess, I always am intrigued by this question, like what made you want to go out to create your own studio? What was driving that? I think while I loved working for all of these other people, I maybe hadn't found my people, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like I had amazing experience. I felt like I probably hadn't found the practice where I really went, oh, that encompasses, because I think I would have probably not left if I found yes. that. Yep. And I was encouraged by my husband. He said, Rob, when I met him, he's like, why are you not doing it yourself? And I thought, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and and so I just, maybe I thought there was a point where I thought I'd give it a go. Right. But I didn't have really any major expectations that it would go well. I just thought it was worth a try. And so... Anyway, here we are. Well, it has been, hasn't it? <laughs> it's going okay. Yeah. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Outside of the bathroom renovation, then how, can you just describe a little bit how that progressed, like in terms yeah, of sure. building? Really, the bathroom renovation turned into a little backyard, renov you know, a kitchen, a kitchen. Then someone trusted me with their living room mm -hmm. and then, you know, their backyard. But I think that the thing I tried to do consistently is really make the most out of any little opportunity mm. to do something that I thought was a bit more than the project. But they really did go from those small alterations and additions projects to larger projects. And I think, but it, we did make a big jump and that was maybe because of a few things, but I like to think that the houses have ideas in them because the houses sort of in this public-private interface have ideas in them that scale up to the mm. city. And so maybe that was identified yeah, and, thanks. yeah, but mm. that, that that was sort of identified and really now we're doing the big projects like they're a house, which is what causes some trauma, of course, because maybe if we cared a little bit less, it would be a bit easier. But it's always hard, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I think we just tried to make the most out of every one. And then, but you can, I can see sometimes how one project really resulted in the next 10. Yes. You and know, if you can't do the little things well, you know, you'll never do. I always think there's always that test yeah. for everyone, whether it be workers or yeah. architects, you know, there's always that little test. If you can't do something little right, then how are you going to go on the big things? Yeah. You've yeah. Got to, so probably it just, you know, it's slowly plugged away but I used to say because a house takes three years mm. and so really you know you've got to almost think about it like dog years mm. like architect years because people would say how long have you been practicing for and I'm like oh when it was five years I'm like but that's only like second round of buildings because yeah. until you market the first things the kitchens and bathrooms mm. you can't get the next scale up and well that's what I found anyway so yep. you know we've I think we're about 2006, I started the practice. Yes. 15 years. Yep, it's 15 yeah. years. Yeah. I only know that because I got married that year. Oh, it's good. A good <laughs> year. It was a good year. Just before we talk a little bit more about bricks, I think when I first met you, and maybe it was 2012, it, I know that you were involved all the way through in any case, but we gave you this development around roof tiles. And I was, I remember that project so well. And I think you were the only... 
architectural firm that had actually come up with this really kind of sustainable way to not only use the roof tiles but turn them into green roofs on houses. And I think I actually at the time really understood your passion around it and it's a shame we haven't been able to do that. But I just wondered sitting in um, this beautiful studio that you have and looking at everything you're doing from a sustainability perspective, I just wonder whether you could talk to that, how that informs your design. I still love that green roof tile, Elizabeth. And one day I'm going to be motivated. We've, I think we've got it out the back. I want to put it on display. But mm. I, I love it. And I love roof tiles, actually. We're trying to bring them in on a few projects at the minute. So that would be nice. Look, sustainability, it's a massive question mm. and really, really important. What's our approach? I think when I, like when I was at, at uni, it was like, oh, you're a green architect. And I really didn't like that yeah. as a label because to me it implied aesthetics or style. Yes. And we, I suppose, have resisted that as a thing. But to me, it's just part of the requirement of a good building. That yes. It's just a, like you've just got to do that. And mm. it doesn't need to be the thing that you talk about. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's to like me, when people say you were feminist. It's like, no, but, yeah, but like I everything am. Everything I live and not, breathe suggests I am, am, but I don't need to label, label it. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. And and so, I yeah, that's a good um, way to think about it. But it's, and so I like to think it's part of everything we do. Yes. And, you know, we couldn't afford initially because we were always having low budgets, all yes. of the things that you attach onto projects. So we were just always trying to get really basic design principles, you know, passive solar things mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But we always believed quality materials that last, which I know you will like that answer, <laughs> Elizabeth, was a really important part of what we did, that we designed buildings to last. But more recently, you know, we've, the office is now zero carbon and we're trying to talk about how do we actually start to do audits of our buildings as well. Oh, wow. Because obviously you can go, well, I can, this office, you know, we don't do that much apart from fly to jobs. So it's reasonably low carbon already. We've got solar panels. But I think the bigger thing that architects need to think about is what do you specify? Yes. And I think that that really needs to be sort of pushed um, down up to the clients and down through to all of our suppliers. So we're starting to look at how do we kind of really get our buildings audited in the same way we've done a carbon audit. Yes. And I think it's such a hard, I I mean, I think going through the process myself as a a homeowner and there's so much information out there really Mm. and then there's so much you know advertising works for a reason right Mm. and not everyone experiences we live through these things every day Mm. you do design so many houses whereas for a lot of people that might be the only house they ever do yeah Mm. absolutely it is it's just that there's a world of information that you're trying to sort through but it's also information that's changing Mm. but it's not as complicated I don't think as it's sort of made out to be and we're trying that's one of the big projects we're doing in here is trying to build up a better database of suppliers and you know asking just asking the questions if everyone starts to do their bit separately it all makes everything a bit easier it's very true Mm. and so yeah so since uh since that time I think since I started you've been involved in the awards and you've won and you've also had a lot of high commendations so why brick I actually think I was inspired from the very beginning by the Think Brick Awards that happened by people that I looked up to and mm. admired. And I've told you that before. And so when when asked to do the t- roof tile thing, which is the first time we entered, 
I was so excited because we really had always admired those projects. I mean, there's just a lot you can do with brick, isn't there? Mm. And it's inherently sustainable and lasts. So I feel like it ticks off a lot of things. But mm-hmm. maybe one of the key things about why brick is that it's we work a lot in a Melbourne context and Melbourne is a city with a lot of brick houses or mm-hmm. brick warehouses. And so the projects have really come a lot from wanting to respond to the context. Mm. But, you know, that overlaid with wanting to make quality buildings that last, it, it's a, a pretty easy choice. Mm. I'm continually surprised about what everyone does with brick. But you were one of the first people that had that call billing way before oh, way Hello before House. It became, you way know, cool. it was so cool. You were one of the first. Maybe talk us through that one. Just, I'd love to get your... How did that come about? It's still there. It's not far from here, that little little brick studio. Yeah. How did it come about? I mean, that literally came about from thinking this needs to be a a brick building. It Mm -hmm. was in a context of other brick buildings, but it was really, it's in Abbotsford. So it's really a lot of different warehouses. And if you travel around that suburb, there's beautiful brick detailing everywhere. Mm. And so I just felt like this was our chance to make our contribution to the brick detailing of Abbotsford. (laughs) But that also talks back to what I was thinking. That was the first project that I felt had a public front, Mm. you know, in the early days of the practice. And I was like, wow, you know, we've got a building that's on the street because we've just been doing backyard renovations for so long. So I was really excited that it would do a bit more. And so I felt like we were being, even though we were just really being asked to do a garage, with a room on top. No one knew that. I was imagining this was our first sort of public project. Yeah, well, it was. And Everyone could see it. Yeah, so it came about, you know, I suppose through that and and it was our first, the first brick project we did. Yes. And certainly it was, it's been nice to see the, you know, similar brick detailing. I think a lot of, it wasn't, we're not the first really because there's lots of amazing buildings all around the world that, have done beautiful things take like that in but, Australia. All right, I'm taking it. <laughs> take it. And what what have you seen? I mean, you've also been a, on the jury and obviously still actively designing in brick. What are some of the changes that you've seen over the years? I mean, it's been really lovely to see the, I think initially we struggled with some of the bricks with sort of applied slurries. Yes. So one of the things that we really pushed for was wanting to specify bricks with the colour all the way through. Mm -hmm. And that comes from some of that detailing. So if you do a hit and miss brick, you don't really want to see the underneath the skirt. Yes. That was important to us. And you can see, I think, that coming through more now, that there are these, a lot of options, obviously, but bricks that have, often they're dry pressed, aren't they? But but with colour all the way through, and there may be a little bit more authentic in their materiality. So you know, the red bricks that were not something you would consider specifying a while ago. And just, it's lovely to see yes. red brick and cream brick. You know, at one of your events, Elizabeth, I believe I said that was the next thing, cream brick. I think you did. I yes. just want to get credit I for think that would, as well. I think I'd take it all. I mean, that, the hit and miss and the cream <laughs> bricks. Yes. Couldn't have been me. No. But, but I, I, and so, you know, it's been quite lovely to see the daggy cream brick become something that's being used through a lot of contemporary architecture and and 
that's really nice to see. But it was like, you know, in Melbourne, everyone loved and sought after the little Victorians. Yes. And it's been really nice to see some of those other post-war houses be appreciated and valued. Mm. And maybe that's happened with the brick, you know, that they're sort of, you know, that, that things are happening in the same line as that. that mm. We start to understand that the 70s is really fantastic and a brown brick <laughs> is, you know, a wonderful thing and you know I don't know maybe we're starting to sort of expand those it's interesting nostalgia but yeah I I agree with you we seem to be going back to where we've come from yeah absolutely I think it is and I suppose it's it's you know we've done a lot of brick buildings now but the thing I love is the flexibility as well like you know that it doesn't have to be a it could be a new brick, it could be an old brick, it could be bagged brick, Mm. painted brick and that there's actually a lot that we you know have tried quite a few of the different things and I mean I showed you that little brick screen that we did with the bricks on end that was a bit a bit tricky but I like the flexibility. Shall we move to the quick fire questions? (laughs) Reading the news a newspaper or online? Online. Handwriting or typing? Typing. For sketching ideas and concepts would you use a pencil pen or e-pen? Technically a black fine liner. Oh wow. Do you like to read books or listen to audio books? Read. What is important to you, style or substance? Substance. With style? Wouldn't mind a bit. (laughs) I could see on your face you wanted to add more. Coffee or tea? Both. TV shows or movies? Both. Antique or modern, brand new? Both, together. Call or text? It depends on the person. Travel back in time or into the future? Future. Exterior or interior? Exterior. Video games or board games? Board games. Form or function? Both. (laughs) Complex or simple with relation to design? I think there's complexity in simple, so we have to pick both. And I think you do that very, very well. Well, thank you so much for all your support of the industry. And also, I know you don't like doing this normally, so I thank you for taking the time out with me today. My pleasure, Elizabeth. (laughs) Thank you. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please follow, rate and review our podcast. We are always looking for new ways to think brick. If you have an idea of what you'd like to hear about, there's a link in our show notes to let us know.